today on Ag News Daily. Our pipeline supply is pretty low, you know, at the end of the year every year. So really we're exporting about everything we can export. So U.S. soy is, is the premium soy in the world. Good day, listeners. Wednesday, October 12th, a Ag News Daily edition brought to you by your soy checkoff. Canner Winterhop joined again by Delaney Howell. And uh, it's an afternoon. We decided to wait today to make sure we got the report out and do some digesting there. How's Delaney's afternoon shaping up? It's shaping up to be a good day, Tanner. It was kind of rainy and crappy this morning, but now it's sunny and a crisp fall day. But yes, we decided to wait today specifically to record the podcast later in the day. So we had the full amount of time here to digest today's WASD report. Yeah, the morning was, it seemed like a welcomed change of pace for some of my customers talking about getting things fixed didn't have to go straight out to the field because of the moisture we had and the others just are you know there's typical farmer it's harvest time i prefer no rain i just want to go and keep things rolling so yes uh got a little chance again it looks like the end of the day friday but overall weather's been pretty good i mean we still got red flag warnings that stretch from kansas to north dakota we've been talking about how dry they've been. I know our Farmer Friday interview for this week is going to also have uh, some comments about how dry the weather's been. It looks like ranges for wind gusts could be up to 55 mile an hour in those Mm -hmm. areas. Of course, we don't want to see any fires get started because they will probably spread quite rapidly. Yeah, they certainly could, Tanner. Uh, But to dive right into some news here, a couple of big headlines off the top. Of course, we got to talk through today's WASDE report, which largely was a fairly bullish report, Tanner, but did stay pretty much in line with what analysts expected to see. Corn yield actually was lower just slightly here in the October report compared to September. This month's yield was pegged at a 171.9, so it fell just six-tenths of a bushel per acre from last month's forecast, with uh, some notable lowered yields in a couple of states in the Plains, Nebraska, South Dakota, and Kansas specifically are what brought down that yield, according to today's report. Soybeans, we also saw USDA lowered the number here for yield from a 50.5 last month to a 49.8 this month, Tanner. So all in all, we saw as far as the average ending stacks or the trade range that came right in line with where analysts were expecting at a 1.172 billion bushels of ending stocks here for corn and a 0.2 billion bushels ending stocks for soybeans. So all in all, fairly favorable report because we did see yield lower, but all in all, um, not all that different from what analysts were expecting to see today. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest news is it was in line with expectations. Of course, this is the third smallest corn crop in the last three years Mm -hmm. uh, that is coming out. But yeah, ultimately, it didn't seem like there was a huge increase in demand. I mean, there was a little bit uh, increased, like we said, for residual use, but then they lowered domestic demand. So even though it came back as everybody expected. It didn't seem like the demand side changed either. No, not too terribly much, Tanner. So really all in all, just a fairly mild report. Um, But we also got, of course, yesterday's crop progress report late afternoon due to the holiday on Monday. So 
government agencies were, of course, closed. And the big headline here, Tanner, is farmers really pushed the envelope when it came to harvest pace for the week ending October 9th. Harvest progressed or harvest progressed to about 31% of corn harvested as of Sunday. And that's pretty much ahead of the uh, five-year average, which is typically at 30% this time of year. Soybeans pushed ahead to 44% completed as of Sunday, up 22 percentage points from the previous week, and still six points ahead of the five-year average. So farmers are getting out there. They're making good use of their time and good weather, Tanner, and they're getting things out of the field. Yeah, I think that's the biggest impact. You know, when we opened up the conversation today talking about how weather has allowed everybody just to kind of work every single day. Uh, It is quite interesting when you look at how much the soybean harvest progressed. It doubled the production from the previous entire portion of the harvest season in one week with that 22% jump as far as that is concerned. So quite interesting, obviously. Most of the soybeans are continuing to drop their leaves. I expect to see that harvest progress number take another big jump next year based upon the people that we've talked with. Um, But it is just kind of moving right along. You stated compared to the five-year average where we sit, it is a little bit behind last year. But again, we started off dry last fall. Winter wheat as far or spring wheat planting as far as that's considered. Uh, spring wheat harvest is completely done. The winter wheat planting progress is 55% completed. So uh, overall, like I said, not a lot of big news coming out of either one of those reports that are going to affect our markets, Delaney. Absolutely, Tanner. So the Michigan dairy farmers have a vote until Friday with their dairy promotion referendum that they will be considering. So for every 100 pounds of milk produced, those dairy farmers currently give 15 cents towards promotional and educational activities through their dairy checkoff. Now that is up for vote right now. 10 cents of that promotional money stays within the state, but the United Dairy Industry of Michigan states that they are assessing what is put in place with about $11.5 million for local promotions like farm tours, as well as farmer and school grants. They're concerned though, that as dairy producers are going to vote, there might be a misconception that if I vote no, they're going to get to keep their 15 cents per 100 pounds of milk. And that's not the way that that is structured. So just to educate those dairy farmers in Michigan, they need to pay attention as to what that actually means when you vote no. It's unclear to me as I dive into this article, Delaney, that there is super clear understanding. It's a checkoff, which is put in place by Congress, and the votes are more to appeal this process and take the information to Congress for reconsideration. So even though We might get a no vote on Friday, Delaney. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden dairy farmers in Michigan will get 15 cents per hundredweight back into their checks. Well, Tanner, I have been kind of watching some live updates today to the overall situation going on between Russia and now the EU, because Russia today has been making announcements and teasing that Putin 
is going to allow gas exports, net gas exports to resume once again to the EU. So really interesting website I found that's doing kind of a live, here's what's going on hour by hour. And just about an hour ago, President Putin has said that he is going to allow gas supplies via Nord Stream 2 to resume to the European Union via a link that is German bound through the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Putin said that one of the two links of the pipeline remained pressurized despite a series of ruptures last month, of course, that we talked about on the podcast, Tanner, which caused some major leaks, but added that if checks prove that Nord Stream 2 is, 2 is safe to begin operations again, that they are ready to begin allowing that to go back out into the European pipelines there, Tanner. And we're still continuing to see um, fresh reports of uh, missiles hitting different areas in Ukraine today. I can't remember what ports we saw today, but certainly still seeing uh, Russia follow through on that action as well. So a lot of a mixed bag here. Yeah, headlines are stating that this is the largest supply of fuel to front lines of Russian troops that they have seen since the uh, incident started. So that's obviously pushing towards a larger advance potentially coming. Uh, Of course, there's been many videos surfacing of bridges being destroyed. Uh, However, they're stating that some of those are not acts in line with the government and arrests are being made. Um, But it is interesting. We'll have to continue to keep an eye on that area. But I feel like as a lot of our analysts have talked that that portion of the grain markets really has already built in the factor of an ongoing issue, uh, not that they see anything to resolve itself anytime soon. But back here stateside, uh, unfortunately, Iowa has again reported the Asian copper leaf. The Department of Agriculture has a couple of sightings. The weed that was first discovered in Blackhawk County, Iowa in 2016 has been spotted again in 2022, nearly 30 miles away from the initial place. They located this new one in Grundy County due to the potential threat to row crops They're asking Iowans to take a look at your fields as you harvest and report any more of this. The Asian copper leaf is native to China, Australia, and Japan, and is first, like I said, discovered here in Iowa. But prior to that discovery, the only North American infestation was in New York City. The trouble with this is it is very resilient. It is a spurge family, has no milky sap. But it is a erect plant, reaches highs of two heights of two to three feet. But most of those plants found here on the state side are only 18 inches tall. Uh, when you take a look at some pictures here, you can visit agriculture.com and see what they've got here as far as identification goes. But the requested action, like I said, is to report it to the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship and they will determine how widespread your weed infestation problem is. Uh, They do ask that if you detect this to dig it up and place it into a bag. So quite an interesting report here, Delaney. Hopefully we don't have an issue of this next year during the growing season. Well, Tanner, I was just in the headlines today, I guess, because I also have a story here coming from Plymouth County, Iowa, where a new record land sale was set to the tune of $26,250 per acre. Tanner, this farmland included 55 acres of highly 
productive quality farm ground, according to Brock Auction Company, who managed this sale, which meant a total of $1.44 million for those 55 acres, Tanner. Quite, quite the price tag. That is a big price tag. I had seen that headline as well and didn't want to believe it as things are continuing to climb. It will be interesting to see how interest rates drive future land prices. Absolutely. And I I think that's going to be the big question mark. You know, for a while there, we thought maybe things were teetering on the edge of coming back down, but this certainly doesn't bode well for uh, a deter in prices. Well, Delaney, I think we need to get one more ad in here from our partner for today. So let's do that before I get to my last story. Who's the number one protein source in chicken feed? You are. That's right. You're winning. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are really big in animal egg. How? By pooling your resources through your soy checkoff. Your soy checkoff is working with poultry and livestock producers, growing existing relationships and forging new ones to bring tangible returns back to you. See all the ways your soy checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. Well, Delaney, it looks like wind farms may be hit with a profit cap to help soaring electricity bills. So wind farms may be blocked from boosting their profits on the back of an energy crisis. Uh, It seems to me counterproductive, Delaney, if we can generate power from a place that can do it in a low-cost fashion that's interjected into the area, but maybe it's not as low-cost as one wonders. So ministers plan to introduce a cap on the amount of revenue wind farms and other renewable power projects can keep from electricity sales, stating this is a string of measures to keep costs lower. The government insists the temporary move will start in 2023 with a windfall tax that will be applied to excess revenues. The Prime Minister, Liz Truss, states that she is opposed to further windfall taxes, but other levies on oil and gas producers are causing the chancellors to take a look at potentially putting a cap on wind energy. So nothing we're looking at quite here in the U.S. quite yet, but the European Union is considering this, as you stated, with uh, their energy crisis that they basically have going on. Who knows? It's going to have to go to a vote. Revenue less than half of the current prices is their target. So these caps may be put into place to help keep energy costs down for their residents. But that's the last piece I have for today on the news. How did the market shape up after the report? Well, Tanner, uh, markets today certainly followed the report with some excitement, but couldn't pull through on that excitement as new crop corn ended unchanged on the day at 693. New crop soybeans were really today's biggest winner from the report, adding 19 and three quarters cents in the new crop contract at 1396. December Chicago wheat closed 18 and three quarters cents lower at 882. And in livestock today, of course, they didn't have a wise report, but they did have to trade through that news that could potentially impact feed prices. December live cattle traded lower 12 and a half cents to close at a buck 48.45. November feeders added 47 cents on the day to close at 176.67. And December lean hawks added a dollar 17 and a half to close at 80.70. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to today's conversation. But take a quick word here from today's sponsor, USB. Who turned a $2 million research investment into $460 million per year in extra income? You did. 
you captain of industry. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are boosting sales. How? By pooling your resources through your soy checkoff which funded a study that led to the dredging of the lower Mississippi River. Soon, you'll ship larger export loads for hundreds of millions in extra income a year. See all the ways your soy checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. Well, folks, we are joined today by a soy industry veteran and spokesperson. And really, Lance, you keep pretty busy. Lance Razak of Northeastern Kansas and a United Soybean Board farmer leader. And Lance, you've got quite the laundry list of different organizations that you're involved in on the soy side of things, which we'll get to here in just a moment. But thank you so much for taking time out of your obviously very busy schedule to join us. Well, thank you for having me. I always like to go ahead and promote what U.S. soy and our checkoff dollars do for farmers, because I'm a farmer and uh, we we think we do a real good job managing our checkoff dollars. Absolutely. So you're a farmer in northeastern Kansas. I feel like we've got to start there, Lance, because it's been pretty dry in your guys' neck of the woods as we look at getting into the full swing of harvest this year. How are crops looking? Yeah, it's been, it has been, it's been fairly dry. Uh, we've harvested our corn. It, uh, it didn't do as bad as I thought. It wasn't terrible. And so, uh, but I've been to Western Kansas a month or so ago. And in Western Kansas, those guys are extremely dry out there. And, uh, so uh, I felt pretty blessed when I got back home and, and we've had a few, a few rain events this summer. So we know that U.S. soybeans are known for their high quality. And, you know, we've talked quite a bit with uh, members of USB, but we want to talk a little bit about exports now. Can you tell our listeners what your role is on the Export Council? Yeah, actually, uh, the United Soybean Board, uh, there is four farmers from USB on the USEC, the U.S. Soy Export Council. And I'm one of the four farmers that represents USB on USEC. And so, Lance, as we mentioned, you're involved in quite a few different soy-related organizations. So you're on the USB board. You're a states on the State Soybean Commission. And it sounds like that's really how you ended up here in this kind of national role with USB and USEC. Is, is that a good analogy or a good synopsis of that? Yeah, that's exactly how it happened. I started with our, our board, with our association board years ago. And, and then got involved with the checkoff. And uh, then through there, I got to the, to the United Soybean Board and I was fortunate enough somehow to end up on the U.S. Soy Export Council. And that has just opened my eyes immensely to what goes on in the world with soy, for sure. So what is the Export Council's formation for? What's the, what's the goal of the council? Well, the goal is to promote... U.S. soy and build a preference for U.S. soy and, and making sure we have market access for U.S. soy. It actually, in 2006, farmer leaders from the United Soybean Board and the American soy, Soybean Association got together and formed USEC. But before that, ASA, the American Soybean Association, had their international marketing arm. And that's been around for over half a century because I was in Taiwan before COVID we were celebrating 50 years of promoting U.S. soy in Taiwan. And, and Taiwan's one of our good customers, and they're very appreciative of our quality of our U.S. soy. And so, so we've been promoting U.S. soy for over 50 years. But the, the thing USEC did for us 
it, it gives us the ability is uh, we work with other partners with USEC and some of the, some of them are processors and the shippers the commodity shippers, large and small exporters, merchandisers, allied agribusinesses, other agriculture organizations. And so we have a, and, and the USDA foreign, foreign market development, they help put some money into for, for USEC too. And so it's just the, entity that really promotes U.S. soy around the world. And then it, it works in you know, all countries. Um, most of it is animal nutrition or chickens or fish or aquaculture even, because about 95% of the soybean meal in the world gets eaten by animals. The other 5% is eaten by humans. But um, anyway, we work on, uh, especially in developing countries, one thing that kind of gets missed is we work with food security in these developing countries. USEC actually goes into those countries, shows them how to raise aquaculture and like in pond raceways. It's a real efficient way of raising fish and using U.S. soy. They show them the ability to grow fish or chickens. Same thing. They've gone to these other countries and showed them what a chicken will do on U.S. soy and the proper genetics. And so we're really helping helping feed a lot of these other countries in the world to that. This, it's not just, I mean, A, we're promoting our U.S. soy, but B, we're, we're working on food security. Yeah, and I think that's a great thing to be focused on right now, especially as we look at all of these current political, geopolitical events that are impacting food security this year more than ever. Lance, as you look at some of the programs and areas and opportunities for growth, Tell us about some of those areas that USEC is working to continue to build preference for U.S. soybeans. Well, I guess I'd like to start with China. Uh, USEC or the, or the U.S. soy had been over there, I think we went over there over 40 years ago into China. And we didn't sell any soybeans to China for the first 17 years that we were there. But they used to feed, uh, feed their hogs, you know, backyard garbage fed hogs. And we started showing them what, uh, what the ability of U.S. soy would do as far as growing their hogs and, and, and then also the genetics and stuff. And so China's done that. And today, China, of all the soybeans in the world that are exported, they buy 60% of them. And so the rest of the world gets a little over a third of the soy that gets exported, and China gets almost two-thirds, 60%. And so that's just one of the initial success stories. Um, I was in Bangladesh, uh, and over there, uh, it was just, uh, Bangladesh is a very poor country, but I toured one of the most modern state-of-the-art soybean crushing plants that there is. It was 200,000 bushel a day, which is a pretty good-sized plant, and they were they were buying soy and crushing it. And all the soy went out in bags. That was kind of astounding. But they set up this huge plant and huge demand because uh, they have the ability to do that. And we've been over there promoting how to feed it to chickens and everything else. And so there's there's just a lot of success stories around that that uh, that it's just amazing how much USEC has done in the world. So how are we sitting now? What what do exports look like? Are we still doing really well as a country? We are, we are, um, and we can uh, export, well, our pipeline supply is pretty low, you know, at the end of the year, every year. So really we're exporting about everything we can export. Um, Brazil, obviously, they've passed as in production down there. Uh, they're kind of the low cost, but less quality supplier in the world. Uh, the U.S. soy is a lot better. Just with our seasons and our ability to handle the U.S. soy, uh, we just do a lot better. We have a and down there, they have to spray it to kill it and 
and it's and it's always warm and the storage is an issue and they don't have storage but anyway so u.s soy is is the premium soy in the world and uh and yeah we'll be able to sell all the soy that we have extra in the u.s for sure so Lance, I know you do probably quite a bit of traveling, maybe less so during COVID, but as I understand it, you recently got to travel to Peru with USEC to help continue to build that relationship with some of those international buyers. What was that trip like? Yeah, we actually went to Lima, Peru, and uh, it was called the America's Buyers Conference. It was mostly all Latin American countries. There was 13 uh, Latin American and, and U.S. was their countries. And we had 82 companies from those countries down there. And, and USEC doesn't do this alone. We did this with the U.S. Wheat, uh, U.S. Rice, and U.S. Grains Council. They all helped uh, promote this conference. And so down there, we had uh, we tried to help all these buyers from other countries. Uh, we, they give them marketing advice on what we think the markets are going to do. Um, some of the countries... Uh, they just buy hand to mouth. And, and I know they were working with them on some hedging and opportunities like that that they can do to kind of protect their prices. Um, they had a farmer update. I was on a panel with uh, some other farmers just speaking about the American crop, the U.S. crop, how uh, how the quality was looking, availability, stuff like that. The other guys were all north and east of me, so their their outlook was a little better than mine in Kansas here. We were a little dry on the beans, <laughs> but um, but we give them an update on that. Uh, one of the kind of interesting things, they had a, a veterinarian from the University of Minnesota down there talking about African swine fever and ways to prevent it and watch and things to watch for. So so we're just trying to make sure demand stays good for U.S. soy all around the world. And is that kind of what you guys are excited about doing in the future or or what really gets you fired up for what's coming down the road for USEC? Well, right now we're really trying to uh, diversify our markets a lot more. Like I said, China buys 60% of everything. And so we've been working in a lot of these developing countries uh, like Vietnam, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and some of them places we've had 50 times growth in those countries. So uh, a lot of these developing countries, uh, they need the protein. Uh, we want to provide it to them. But uh, so we've been working in those. So I think that's kind of what's more exciting is, is helping all these other countries get going and get their demand and get their get their protein needs met as 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 we go through into the future. Well, we certainly need you to keep going out there and championing for US soy especially this year, but Lance certainly appreciate your time today. Well, thank you. The uh yeah, the uh, the world is really needing our soy. Um we've had a very steady growth in protein needs about 4% per year. It's, it keeps getting better and better. And so looking forward to the future, um, we're just happy to be able to provide that nutrition for the rest of the world. And, and, uh, and it looks bright for the U.S. soy farmers. That's for sure. It certainly does. And folks, if you want to learn more about United Soybean Board and their work with USEC to maximize soybean export opportunities, visit unitedsoybean.org. Well, there, that was nice talking to Lance Rezac uh, to get the conversation in for us. Uh, it's always a pleasure of having knowledgeable people on, and it's fun to share those with our listeners, Delaney. Absolutely, Tanner. We're going to have lots of other fun questions and answers and discussions this week, though, so folks do stay tuned, especially the Farmer Friday. I'm, I'm becoming quite like that. I know I don't 
we're not going to be able to probably do that after harvest is over, but it's fun to talk to folks as they're hitting the fields this year. Yeah, could you imagine what the winter version of Farmer Friday is? It's, it's what are you doing today? Well, I booked some seed orders and got the planter <laughs> washed up and gonna, yeah. Either that or we need to target some southern states that are continuing to plant the vegetables uh, that we consume. So maybe we can keep it running and we just expand the geographical area. Maybe we'll have to we'll have to ponder that one, Tanner. But with that, should we let the people go for today? Let's let them go.